Hello, this is the Sensitive Matters Podcast, a podcast bringing empaths, perceptive people, creatives, unique projects, and sensitive matters into the spotlight. Join us for meaningful conversations that inspire and have the power to gently create awareness around sensitive and important matters such as mental health, conscious consumerism, sexuality, spirituality, ethical business, and much more. I am Christina Zipperlin, founder of the ethical jewelry brand Ananda Soul. I'm a highly sensitive human who values community, creative and spiritual exploration, and ways to make a positive impact. I'm also a psychology student and mental health and LGBTQIA advocate. We're tuning in from the magical island of Bali, where I've lived for over 12 years and is the home of my jewelry company that strengthens and gives back to the local community. Thank you for joining us for these conversations as we, together, explore sensitive matters. And now, enjoy the episode. Welcome back to Sensitive Matters. The new year brings new beginnings, and for many, that can include lifestyle changes in regards to food and how we nourish ourselves. With that in mind, we're excited to welcome my favorite chef and dear friend, Chef Cynthia Louise, to the podcast. Cynthia Louise is a qualified plant-based food chef that is leading the real food revolution with edible plant-based recipes, offering real food that nourishes and heals you from the inside. Cynthia Louise was raised in Papua New Guinea. She's the author of two cookbooks, a best-selling author of seven recipe books, the star of two cooking shows on Gaia TV and FM TV, and an exciting and charismatic public speaker who's frequently touring Australia and sharing her wisdom and how cooking can heal you from the inside out. She has collaborated with Tyler Tallman, Dr. Libby Weaver, and partnered with serial entrepreneur Roger Hamilton as a partner in a global chain of restaurants, to name a few of her many accomplishments. Welcome, Cynthia. It is so wonderful to have you here today. It's beautiful to be here. Hmm. (laughs) And we're actually here today in my home, which um, to me is always extra exciting to be able to do these interviews in person because I'm here with a real person, especially in these times where there's so much happening over Zoom. So yay, thank you for coming here. This is real Zoom time. This is real. (laughs) No Zoom. Yeah. And we're here in Bali and I'm curious um, how you ended up here. What was your path of calling Bali your home? I was offered a job co-facilitating a fasting retreat. Mm. And I remember packing my bags and my mum said to me, you're never coming back because as soon as you hit that land, it'll feel like New Guinea. And Mm. it did. And that's how I ended up here in Mm. 2012. I have chills. (laughs) I have chills also remembering that moment and that, yeah, that magic for the, for the ones that are Mm. called here when you land and you just have this full body Mm -hmm. home. Mm. Mm. 
So you mentioned Papua New Guinea, which um, to many who are listening, I'm sure sounds really exotic. So I'm curious if you're open to sharing a little bit about your upbringing there, how that how that happened. Were you born there? Um, tell us a little bit about your childhood, if that's all right. My mum and dad, my mum was brought up there and my dad went over there when he was like 16 mm. and they wanted to have children and mm-hmm. they couldn't have children. So they adopted me from Australia mm. in 1971 and I was a few months old and I was taken over there and raised there for a very long time, <laughs> all my childhood, all my adolescence and a part of my adult life. Mm-hmm. And it was tropical like here but dense more deeper tropical mm-hmm. and the surroundings are similar to Indonesia because it is the other half of Indonesia actually yeah. but it has a it has the most diverse people and language in the world there's so many different languages and each mm-hmm. village has their own language mm-hmm. which is really unusual in 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 Bali on the island of Bali there's one language Balinese and then there's scripture mm-hmm. and then there's the Indonesian you know language that covers all the islands but Mm -hmm. in New Guinea every village has a different language Mm, wow yeah it's really quite amazing every province and it's really 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 intensely driven by deep almost primitive culture to be honest Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how would you say that influenced you in your life in general like I yeah I can only imagine these cultures and and bringing growing up alongside them how like what what are some of the the qualities or yeah, anything that you feel kind of you mm. took on from that? Well, my mum wanted a beautiful little girl that went to ballet and spoke <laughs> properly <laughs> and played piano and <laughs> sat down properly and combed her hair um, and did all the things that little girls do that mum wishes on little girls. And I was a complete opposite to that. I didn't want to go to school. I didn't want to sit down. And there was a lot of I didn't want to's in my world. But what I did know I wanted to do was run around the back of my dad's workshop and climb trees and get bitten by bull ants and eat mangoes and climb coconut trees and, and you know, cook food and basically just be normal, what I thought. Mm-hmm. And so my life, my life's beginning was to me, very normal mm-hmm. and to others was extraordinary because, yeah, because yeah, being raised in a country where your skin is white but the country is not and you you believe you're a part of them, you actually believe, I actually believed I was that and I still do to this day. There's essence there and it's a mm-hmm. very respectful essence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow. <laughs> For that to be normal, you know, to climb coconut trees, I'm like, oh. The world needs more of that really to be normal. Of course you were. Run up on my dad's big roof and jump onto the mango tree and just run around and just do things and you know making bags with you know real string from plants and you know making big holes in the ground and heating up river rocks and cooking food and just normal to mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. and being really naughty as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I remember my mum once tried to run a comb through my hair and she was like, I can't do this anymore. And she sent me off to the hairdressers and I got a haircut, which I shaved it all off. And then she couldn't recognise me when she picked me up. It's a real experience. Why does that not surprise me? <laughs> so with you just mentioned the cooking already and, and the just 
being with with the land. Um, tell us a little bit about your upbringing and how, if at all, that influenced your work that you do now with food. Well, I think I somehow I chose to not eat at mum at, at mum's kitchen. <laughs> so I would eat down in the village down the back or anywhere really that I was friends with and felt at home with and accepted. And then when dinner came, you know, with souls and veggies on the table, it was like, nah. And I found myself naturally going to shops and buying things for the elders mm. to cook as a child, you know. I'm talking five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen years on on. Yeah. Just very naturally doing that and respectfully. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that foundation, it wasn't the cooking, it was the feeling of being accepted around the foods we ate that mm-hmm. brought me to where I am today. It was mm-hmm. not like I learned how to cook. I learned how to do errands and I respectfully learned how to wash things and peel things and mm. collect firewood mm-hmm. and respectfully did that. And then I believe that's what, yeah, has given me this ability today to fall in love with the idea of food culture, mm-hmm. which is one part of that is cooking. Yeah, I can feel the, the passion in that already. Like just the, the way you speak, that the food culture and the the organic way that it sounds like that came about. Um, and it's something that came has come up since we know each other because mm-hmm. my relationship with food has not always been healthy. And I'm curious if yours always has been like growing up in a culture where I could imagine some of the issues that we're seeing in, in the more developed with very much um, apostrophes mm. here, countries. The word health has so many different meanings to different people. Yeah. It's not a universal meaning in yeah. my opinion. So growing up, eating food is close to nature, we could call healthy. For me it was normal. Mm-hmm. There was no diets and mm-hmm. there was no like you've got to eat that or you have to eat that. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, growing up around the women and the children and the families and even my family, you know, my mum was a nurse and she was really proactive around how much, you know, things we did eat that weren't made out of real ingredients. Like she would buy one, it's actually in my book, this story, she would buy one cherry ripe bar and cut it into four, one for my brother peace for my dad, peace for my mum. And for the life of me, I couldn't realise why she only bought one. (laughs) And every now and then. And I remember sitting there, I'd kind of figure out which one was the biggest piece because she might have made one bigger. And so she had that foundation, I think, Mm. of just knowing what her kids would thrive on and also knowing what her kids would bounce off the walls on. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, she was a working mum and she didn't want her child bouncing off the wall. So I think health wasn't a part of my upbringing, but the the beauty of eating real ingredients mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. Yeah. right. So it's 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 almost just like a given of like we eat food from the land and and it naturally yeah and from the markets and and mm-hmm. stuff from the supermarkets. I right. remember mum buying yogurt and things sometimes, but very rarely was our fridge full full of packaged items. Sure, yeah, right. it was very rarely that we had a full thing, you know of whatever you see in other people's fridges, you know, no judgment. But I, you know, we didn't have that in New Guinea too. We didn't have shopping centres and escalators and aisles and aisles and aisles of pre-packaged processed ingredients that's called food. We just didn't really mm-hmm. have that. We had small little shops and little amounts of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You're not the average chef <laughs> to 
say the least. Um, and your angles are really unique. So I'm, I'm curious um, if you can share a little bit more about your approach to food, your approach to cooking, and in your eyes, what you feel is unique about mm. it. So coming from New Guinea to Australia, I was then, my eyes then looked at the magazines and the TV stations and the women and the feeling and the shopping centres and the, oh, my gosh, the packaged foods. And oh, just saying that is overwhelming for me because mm -hmm. there is a there is a feeling of wanting something that we don't really know what it is. Mm -hmm. But I knew what made me, what I knew what felt good in my body and that was making food from scratch. I just mm -hmm. had that foundation. So it's an interesting question actually. Food is a right for me. It's not a privilege. And I believe mm -hmm. that when we dissect it to its nutritional parts, it complicates the eater mm -hmm. and it's a dilemma. It's an mm -hmm. omnivore's dilemma, mm -hmm. you know, omnivore, sorry, dilemma. And that dilemma is should I have eggs, should I have free-range eggs, should I have organic eggs, should I have pasture-raised eggs, should I have mm -hmm. GMO eggs. It's a dilemma. It's this dilemma and I didn't grow up in a dilemma. Mm -hmm. And so my, my deep approach of ingredients is to give you an opportunity to see it as, in, as, as simply an ingredient. Now, when you create a value system around organic or biodynamic or something like that, that's a conversation. But mm -hmm. initially it's an egg. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so the ingredient part is important to me to respect mm -hmm. because of my upbringing. And then the cooking part, the idea of cooking is a very interesting thing because I know in my recipe book I can make that dish a thousand times. But in that thousand times, there'll be probably 997 times that it's not great because I'm not great. Mm. So my cooking philosophy is understanding, number one, do I want to cook anything? Mm-hmm. And number two, how am I feeling in my body? Like, mm -hmm. am I am I greedy? Am I am I craving something? Where is my attention going outside of just simply being hungry? And mm -hmm. so when I land that flight, I cook, and that's that. That to me is a really good philosophy because when somebody learns where they're at inside their mind, mm -hmm. their their being, their phys physiology. When, 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 you, when you really truly, you know, find that in yourself, which we all do, we all have that ability to find that. When you're cooking, it comes through. Thoughts go, energy flows, energy goes into the food. It's, yeah. not very, it's kind of a hippie statement in a way, but it's not because I know mm -hmm. that I make that dish and it's great that I make it the next day and it's burnt. Mm -hmm. And because I'm not in the mood, I've either I'm either got my period, there's something with the moon happening, I've or had an argument with someone, or I'm just moody, a moody woman. <laughs> <laughs> or I can't find the ingredient, and I don't want to go to the shop, so I compensate, and then I'm aggravated, and it yeah. all comes into the pot. Mm. Mm. Yeah, to to honor that as an ingredient, right? Of like actually what state we're in, what thoughts we're Thousand thinking, percent. and to take it broader, which is, that feels like so universal, like you can you can apply that to really anything we do in life, like any conversation we have or anything we create or, yeah. yeah. And I'm the greatest student at this particular job of, in, of willingness when I'm cooking because I know that if I'm not in a space, it's mm -hmm. just not going to happen. And, that, and if you look at all my recipes, there is an ingredient on the bottom of each recipe and it's a feeling mm -hmm. and you'll see that and people message me and they'll say, hey, in the chocolate cake, just underneath the half a cup of coconut sugar, you've got 
one tablespoon as I love letting go. Where do I find that ingredient? (laughs) (laughs) And I used to laugh a lot. I did. And then one day I was like, oh, my God, oh, shit, okay, I actually need to respond to this gently and and carefully with humility because this is my journey and you might not know it. So I would respond with, hey, just so you know, what does it feel like when you really let go of the appliance not working, the kids screaming in the background, you haven't had an orgasm for a month and you've got mm. to cook a meal mm. and, and your works and you've got these emails backed up and the washing's got wet because of rain. And they'd be like, oh, my God, thank you, I get it. Mm. And that to me is like that's the recipe. Yeah. Oh, that gives me chills. <laughs> yeah, and I'm laughing with a lot of love there. Yeah. Just, um, yeah, weaving in, weaving in the hat is like, it's so powerful, yeah. especially, you know, as you were just describing this imagined individual writing you, but that's, that's our life, right? It's yeah. not like what it looks like on Instagram. There are all the things that you just mentioned and especially in these times, even more added on that's just unpredictable and yet we're going on with life and we've got to feed this body and got to feed our loved ones and, do the jobs and all the things. It's the true essence of, we call it self-care. I'm in the self-care industry, the wellness industry, the $41 billion trillion industry, (laughs) but I call it care for self. I swap Mm -hmm. it around because imagine if you really did feel into how you're thinking and how you're feeling in that moment before you're cooking. That that is a level of care. Yeah. An inquisitive care. Yeah. And then self comes through and da-da-da-da-da. I kind of swapped those words around just recently Mm because it felt right. Because mm-hmm. it's a thought, right? A lot of people don't, and I'm generalizing here in my experience of people that I've worked with and, and facilitated is like, I never, I just, I just cook because I, it's fuel. <laughs> I just have to, you know, and I'm like, yeah, yeah but where, where are you at? Like, it doesn't matter where I'm at, I'm busy. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. let's, let's, let's think about that for a minute. Well, I don't really want to cook. And I'm like, excellent. That's where we start because mm-hmm. no one should be forced to cook, mm-hmm. but anyone can cook mm-hmm. if they're given the opportunity to be nourished in the, in the process. Yeah. Mm. Let's speak a little bit about these times that we are finding ourselves in. Yeah, they're I- shit. <laughs> Thanks for making that easy. It was going to be like, I don't think I'm <laughs> exaggerating to say that overall – Anxiety levels are higher. Depression, addiction has been flaring up. There is, for many, mm. this this increased sense of lack of predictability, lack of security, and just a lot of um, external factors that are being put on us. Many people haven't been able to see their families. Many people are tremendously impacted economically and like. I do not have to go over it because we all know. Mm. And I'm curious if you have any tips and maybe you're open also to sharing a little bit on how your journey has been to respond to what the world is kind of putting Mm. on you in particular and on everyone. And then any tips um, around food, around routines, around nourishing that might bring in a bit of that that sense of security because that's what I've been finding. There are certain things that are out of my hands that they're just going on in the world. And I've been finding that like if I take care of my body, if I'm doing certain somatic practices, if I'm watching certain things, my system is calmer. So I'm like, okay, what can I control? And where do I have power and what is out of my hands? 
And so just wondering mm. what's there for you. I always think about like this podcast in five years' time and someone listening to it. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> we've been through all, we've been through the ringer, <laughs> literally, <laughs> as, the, as the human race. I mean, we weren't prepared. My son said it so brilliantly two years ago. We are just not prepared. We, we were not. <laughs> and, and, and I'm talking about the emergency side of things, yeah. not just the at home with the kids and the job. I'm talking about the hospitals. I'm talking about just our general practitioners of any healing modality were not prepared for what was to happen, let alone the equipment they were using, let alone getting to the patient, let alone the patient getting to them, let alone anything. We just weren't prepared. And it's been absolutely globally shocking to the nervous system of any child, grandmother, aunt, uncle, Mm. father, sister, brother. Yeah. It's been baby. It's been incredibly... Um, eye-opening for me to 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 watch, sit back and watch, you know, parts of what um, our leaders are, you know, expressing through the news and parts of what my family expressing to me mm-hmm. and parts of what my friend's family expressing to them and just this intense amount of content with little context to it too, which is shocking in so many ways. And then there's this constant feeling of... You know, I'm stuck. Mm-hmm. I feel it everywhere. I feel it with chefs. I feel it with the chefs I'm training. I feel it with waitresses, with with people with families and, and this feeling. And food goes out the door. Nourishment of any level of mental, physical or spiritual well-being goes out the door. And that's the thing that we've, we're two years in, right? Are we two years in? Yeah, pretty much. We're two years in, right? And we're all starting to gather up our isms now. So I need to go, okay, I really need to look after myself. This is a beautiful life. This is actually a really beautiful, oh. if we strip it right back, this is actually a really fabulous life mm-hmm. and this body is quite incredible and it's mm-hmm. carried me this long. Mm-hmm. And how can I now look at it in a different way, mm-hmm. not just with food but, you know, with the ingredients that I'm creating the food from. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like for me it's been... I mean, I've bloated, I've expanded, I've mm-hmm. held on to things and bloated the idea of crisis. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and, and I've actually, you know, put on fluid mm-hmm. in my body. My body's changed. I'm 50 now. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and, I've, and I've not realised the, 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 the profound, you know, stress and wisdom I've been carrying on my shoulders around this pandemic, mm-hmm. you know, and being away from my family and just... It's been massive and it's only just now uh, that I'm starting to, you know, starting to do some really deep care of housekeeping in my body. And my tips have been sleep has been the biggest one for inflammation. Inflaming the idea of a pandemic is what I did through my physical body. So mm-hmm. sleep has been a one great way of reducing um, that inflammation physically but also reducing the content that's been streaming into my inbox mm-hmm. on what's happening globally in every mm-hmm. country and every human on the planet. Every human on the fucking planet, Christina, not just me and you and Bali and our families. It's like um, the last time I felt of every human on the planet was when um, um, Bob Geldof did that, that world thing. We all felt humanity in a way. And that was in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it was in the 80s. I remember being... You know, not so old, but I remember feeling that I feel the same way now. This is a real big collective thing. So sleep is one of my tips. Um, Paying a lot more attention to the internal 
than I've ever done before. Getting the right, you know, if if you can, getting the right checkups, to be honest. Mm. Getting getting my eyesight checked, getting my teeth checked, getting things looked at that I wouldn't normally look at, getting my skin looked at. You know, starting to have a really appreciation that the sun is shining down and there is different seasons and and I'm getting older and and starting to really take care of of, of my body, whether it's mm-hmm. on a phone call mm-hmm. to a specialist or a healer mm-hmm. or physically going into a um, you know a space to get some some checks done. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's been a big thing for me: sleep mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sleep. Watching how, what we're exposed to, what information, oh what God. news, and um, yeah, it's interesting when you mention the checkups. It because we are almost two years in, and there has been um, just this sense of survival for for like at first, right? And and also it, it has changed to go into medical facilities at the moment. Yeah. There are restrictions, so. It's a really good point that, um, and it is part of that care for self mm. to actually check in on that. And and as you're saying that, it, it brings me a sense of normal to be like, oh, I should go to the dentist and get that checked out. Like for some reason, my system goes like, oh yeah, like thinking about the dentist. <laughs> But still like, if like, oh, that's what I used to do. Um And yeah. I know we're we're speaking to people in different places. I'm fully aware that some people don't have access still to certain things. And so, as you're saying, there are rising up things that can be done virtually. Yeah, and, and there's people that are having conditions like I'm helping my friend in Mexico, Courtney, at the moment, who's gone through a really great um, space by moving to Mexico but also going through a crisis. And she doesn't have a specialist over there. Yeah. So she's done it on Zoom. Yeah. You know, we've, we've, she's finding the ways to, to help and that's the thing. That's what I'm really focusing on mm. at the moment, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm just, You're staring at I'm the just reading like... my notes here and it says, you hate kale. Why is that? <laughs> I should never have said that. It's been one of the biggest things of my existence. Um, my, my question is a little bit broader than that. Um you your recipes all are plant-based mm. um and i'm curious in your understanding what the benefits of plant-based are and also what your take on animal products are because the one thing i do love about you is this um very non-dogmatic approach and A lot of I've spoken about this quite a bit, but I know for myself in my own history because I did not grow up in a in a connected <laughs> to you know like the environment that you described. I grew up in an environment where there were Barbies around and twelve ba- barbecues or Barbie no, Barbie, Barbie dolls Barbie dolls oh, wow. and like um, I wasn't allowed to have any, but my friends did, and and mm. you know girls would go on diets when they were 13, 14. Like I grew up with that, right? Mm. So um, the the one thing that has been incredibly healing to be around you, to be your friend, to eat your food, to learn how to cook mm. your recipes has been this, this non-dogmatic approach. Because I know for me, whenever there's a rule of like, you cannot have that, all these alarm bells go up and mm. it's it's just... It's not a healthy approach. And then yet there is the side of like, how do I take best care of my body? And there are certain things that might be better than others. I don't know. 
when you live in New Guinea and you live in Indonesia and you go to South Africa and it's just like it just food has a deep level of culture. There's mm-hmm. a culture, there's cultural significance to the dish that mum put on the plate that you sat on the floor and ate with your fingers or you sat at a table with a napkin. There is a deep culture and I don't have a food fight around it. I just mm-hmm. don't. Sure, there is, a, there, you know, we're, we're humans and we've come a long way with production of food and we've had to feed our planet, you know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sticking up for the, the non-organic or the, or the genetically modified stuff, but we've had to feed this planet and mm-hmm. we've done it in the best way we can. And, yes, we could argue that it's, you know, not good for the human race, the soil and the atmosphere. And, you know, we could argue the other way, we have to feed the planet. <laughs> and so for me it's like I stand in the, I stand in the awe of humanity alone and the, the fact that we've even been able to genetically modify something is actually quite genius. Now whether it's good for you or not, that's a that's a whole different different conversation. But for me to put down a human being because of their food practices is not where I come in from. I, I just don't have it in me to do that. So plant plant-based versus animal protein, I don't have an argument around it. I don't think about it. I just know that when Someone eats, and I go back to my mum, and you've got to remember this. It's like you're sitting at the dinner table, you're seven years old, mum's made some chicken and veggies. Mm. I'm salivating thinking about it because I'm thinking of the journey and I'm thinking of the flavours and, and, and you've just whipped up that chicken and dipped it in tomato sauce and you're, 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 off, you're off and racing and mum turns around and says, you're not leaving this table until you finish your vegetables. And you're like, okay, no, and there's an argument there, but why would she say that in the first place? She knows that that plants have a level of nutrition that has an alignment with our body of the 78 organs. How would she know that? How did she know when I was two years old, carrots are good for your eyes, darling? How would they, where does all this come from? And, 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 and women back in, you know, hundreds of years ago preserving things, whether it was meat or plant, we have this ability to look at food for me, not just as a whole, but as, a source of humanity to live mm-hmm. and whether it's plant versus animal it's not my argument space though if the conversation comes up of what sort of animal say I want to eat salmon or say I want to eat have bone broth or whatever it might be and someone's talking to me about it I'm my inquisitive you know questioning would be you know, it's really, it's it's really great that you love that. So, what what kind of bone broth are you having? What kind of salmon are you having? And then the, mm-hmm. the question goes, oh, I'm just buying it from the shop. Also, well, did you know that if it's biodynamic, or if it's fasted, raised, and if it's killed appropriately, there's a there's a level of integrity. Plus, there's a level of death as well. But there's also this abundance of how it should be. A cow should eat grass, not grain. Mm-hmm. You know, soy, soybeans, corn, all that sort of thing. It should just eat grass. And so, taking someone through that pathway, there's an eye opening. And there's, oh, my God, I didn't know, okay, where's a good supply for the bone broth or the salmon? I said, well, you know, this is where it is. And Mm -hmm. then we start to look at it like that and that becomes the shoulders are relaxed and the person's like, thank you. Mm. Like, no worries, mate. Mm -hmm. No worries at all. Like, you know, and that's where I stand in that place because don't forget I grew up in New Guinea killing animals. Mm-hmm. I know how to kill an animal and I know how to cut it back and I know how to hang it and break down its proteins and I know how to do all these things. And I smile because, my God, like most chefs don't know how to do that and don't know how to raise an animal either. Mm-hmm. So I've had this amazing, you know, 
rite of passage, more than a privilege to be able to learn different cultures in different, especially in New Guinea and Indonesia. Mm-hmm. As I've learned the art of the gift of eating mm-hmm. and it's not a dilemma. Mm-hmm. And that's where I stand in from. And mm-hmm. it is the most asked question on the planet, like what's for dinner? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's huge, you know. Michael Pollan talks about it. Like it's the omnivore's, omnivore's dilemma, you know. It's really interesting. It's Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a fascinating question. Mm-hmm. I don't have a food fight. Yeah. But I, I do have a level of education on agriculture and, yes. you know, I do have that in yeah. me because I'm interested in soil health. Yeah. I'm very interested in soil health. Yeah. Yeah, to ask the questions like, um, yeah, to, to go to the source. And I do feel that there's there's a waking up happening across the board, mm-hmm. you know, around food. Where does it come from? Like asking the questions because there has been a stretch of time with, you know, the developments of GMO, with um, the industrialization of people having to work all these jobs and quickly having to whip something up. And, you know, they're not being the time or, the, you know, a lot of people do not have access to raising their own animals and learning how to kill them. And so how can we find um, access to to the quality of that mm. with what we have available, right? And so it is that conversation of just opening up our eyes of do we need to eat sausages and, and, and a meat product mm. three times a day in every single meal? Or can there be a little bit of a question of, okay, this is an animal that lived and that died and how how did it die and what did it eat and and just like to zoom out a little bit more again which really you know reminds me of the qualities of the emotions that you're putting into the recipes um you know exactly you know really well that that is the same question and process i'm going through through our business of asking the questions that Um, almost seemed like they were forgotten for a little while. Like people would pick up something in the store and it's almost that it miraculously miraculously appeared there. Mm. But like, how was it produced? How were the humans and the, the land treated where the re the, ingredients are from right whether we're talking about jewelry or we're talking yeah. about clothes or like it doesn't really quite matter but asking those questions as we are growing in the numbers of humans on this planet and just having to be more and more mindful because there are more of us and we're having a bigger footprint and oh, yeah, then... this generation of kids coming through they're mindful yeah they're mindful consumers yeah. like we've never seen before we thought yeah. In the sixties, we, you know, that, that was all happening. But my gosh, like we have, we have a huge abundant of different cultures coming through, and ethically, ethically, you know, spending their money on ethical products and yeah. and demanding those ethical products have have exactly what it makes it ethical, and yeah. then demanding to see it. Like I, I, things are really interesting. Yeah. Nowadays, you know. Yeah. And I just I love the art of experiences more than I do Google. Mm-hmm. I love the art of talking to people about, you know, why would you eat an animal? Why could you how could you do that? How could you do that? And I go into the back of Bali where someone's raising the chickens and they're gonna have that once a year or twice or whatever they're gonna do on their ceremony. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna question that. Yeah. And then going into a supermarket and just putting stuff into a shopping trolley, I'm also not gonna question that. But if they come to me and ask me, mm-hmm. then I'm gonna show them, you know what, there's a lot of amazing agriculture 
going mm-hmm. on, mm-hmm. you know, and agriculture going on in this world and where our money goes is is really quite fun because you get to you get to play a part in not just soil health and water health, you get to part play a part in a bigger vision. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I, I sit with people, yep. you know. Totally. Yeah, totally, right? Totally. And I never put down the farmer that is not doing the right thing either because his education or her education is just that. Yeah. It's like putting me down because I don't know how to do the tech side of my business. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not right to do that. Mm-hmm. It's almost the conversation is there mm-hmm. to be had mm-hmm. and led by, yeah. Yeah. You you brought up the business. You brought up the tech side. Let's um let's shift gears a little bit. Um, because we've known each other for close to a decade, and you, mm. in this process from day one, have been incredibly supportive of me. You know, having questions and hiccups, and sometimes feeling very overwhelmed with running mm. a business, and being quite uh, determined to do it my way. To to ask those questions and to figure things out. And so first of all, I'm just deeply grateful for the ongoing support and just celebrating each other as, as these female entrepreneurs who continuously choose to do things a bit differently. And work really hard. And work really hard. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey as a businesswoman sharing your work with the world how that's been any any learnings any hiccups (laughs) it's so fascinating at the moment for me because I'm defined as a chef Mm -hmm. and people call me chef Mm -hmm. my name is Cynthia I'm 50 years old I'm a mother blah 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 and I'm also happen to be a businesswoman and what I've realized is that I'm actually a really good business I'm really I'm actually a really great businesswoman I just happened to be a good chef <laughs> so it's it's the other way around for me and I lost that for a while mm. I lost that intuitive strength and questioning of running a business for a while and ever since I've ever known myself in in, in a business, business way which is right back to my 20s when I had my first business and I'm 50 now I've always had this ability to create something and it's always been a success bar one my fish and chip shop in Tasmania and which is the greatest learning of my life. But I've always been able to, you know, make something, you give me the money and then you leave. And it's always been physical and it's always been fabulous. And I've always moved very fast pace. I have this mind, it's a dyslexic mind where you see the letter P, I see the letter D when you flip it around or the letter B. And so there's this this way that I have this 360 view. And over the years I've... I've touched into that a lot more. But what I've realised is that (laughs) it's really quite funny actually, I really didn't want to go online. Online was not my calling. It's never been my calling. I've never sat back and went, I want to be an online, have online products, I want to produce online, I want to run Facebook ads, Google ads, YouTube ads, LinkedIn, you name it, Pinterest, I do it all, right? It's never in my level of businessing. And it came across to me through my friend Michelle who said to me in our retreats because people wanted to take me home, please, can you come home with me? Can you be my private chef? Can you cater? No, 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 I hate catering. <laughs> and I'm no one's favourite chef. I'm just not like that. And my thing is more the outer community. So she helped me go online. And since then I have fought that, to be honest. I've disrespected it. I've not wanted to do it. I've cracked tantrums around it. I've not been able to see how fast I could go in it. 
where I can now. And I've never wanted to invest in the back end, as you call, of a face of a website. And now I am deeply, deeply running my business with a large group of women, actually. Mm -hmm. And I've gone through, as you know, a consulting agency and now on my own. And now I work with some extremely talented and very smart women who, who help, you know, bring my food to your table mm -hmm. in a delicate and human way possible. And the, the most hiccups I think I've gone through is I can't believe some of the systems people have developed that we use. <laughs> I'm like, geez, surely you can make a better thing than that. But I don't know how to make that. I just question it. Why can't I have that tracking for that? And then also acknowledging that Facebook doesn't give Facebook ads and the analytics in the back don't give you the right numbers. I've just learned this recently. Did you know that? So there's all these things. And it's 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 cha it's challenging, but it's 99% rewarding. And not of the money or the revenue that is produced by my content. It's rewarding for the women I work with. Mm -hmm. I mean, my operations manager, she's not even my operations, Brendalyn has this ability to have a role in my company that is something that I've never worked with before, the level of care and detail and how she can flip hats really fast. And she used to manage a team of 200 people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, now she's little old me, you know, <laughs> and, and then she's employed other people, you know, outside of me. Like we have a, quite a nice team now. And so running, 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 you know, I'm not even going to say we're running a business, but creating product to sell online has been fun. And it's also like there's so much changing, like the metaverse is coming in mm. and um, people are just like demanding free content all the time and free delivery and free shipping and there's a big, big yelling, screaming mm. match out there of what's entitlement of mm. our products that we're selling that we need to ship and we need to collect that shipping mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's really interesting there's 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 a lot happened in the online world that I missed over the last say since 2012 when I got online to where I'm now because I've, it's only in the last two years that I've invested in it mm -hmm. and I've gone wow people are really just want everything for free and I'm like why is that and I go deeper in that because that's how it started the internet was a, a source of knowledge and wealth of free individual content mm, thank you yeah. let's, let's keep talking um, business a little bit <laughs> yes, and, yes um, let's do i love it i know we, we both do and i think it is like i'm hearing you speak about your team and and that's really you know for me the same thing just oh my God. sometimes when i have a day where i'm like this is too much i'm overwhelmed i'm like well it's not really up to me to like you know walk away there's there, there's an entire family and families attached and it's like it's our creation mm -hmm. it's it's you know i am one one piece of the chain that makes up this creation and um i know you've been a beautiful fan our jewelry is all over you right now <laughs> as she's flicking her hair um, this is my new necklace it's from ananda yeah. it's archangel ariel um yeah. environment and yeah. creativity yeah. and 
all the things. Yeah. And yes. And, and we're in and through your cookbooks, which, um, you know, I continue to celebrate that because my, my beginnings have been, as I mentioned, a very challenging relationship with food, very challenging relationship with body. And so the, the art and creations that I brought through, they're, they're more like the messages that I needed to carry. Um, and they over time have become some form of nourishment mm -hmm. and then combining them with actual food that is eaten by our bodies. It's like, it is so meaningful to me. It is like, it's this continuous wink of like, you're on the right track. It's the, 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 all the layers and all the levels of, of what does nourishment mean. So if you're up for sharing a little bit of what our jewelry means to you and how this journey has been, because you've, you've seen it unfold. Yeah, I mean, in the beginning, it was just like, oh, there's some hippie jewelry, to be honest. <laughs> it's just like, meh. And then over time, I was so interested in the ethical pathway that you were digging for. You were digging for gold in that way of ethical gold, you know, and digging for silver and digging for gems and, and you were literally in your mind digging mm -hmm. for the pathway that not just impacted the person you bought it off but the trail before that right down to the person that was making it, to the families, to the people, to the women, to the children, to every source of it. That, that just fascinated me, truly fascinated me. When touching it and looking at it, it's not the sort of jewellery I'd wear, to be honest. Mm. My jewellery used to be quite rebelous in the way. You know, I had my nose pierced, I had my eyebrow pierced, I've got facial tattoos, you know. It was just your jewellery, there's a delicateness and a softness around it, the design that is not my, it's not my style at all. And I remember one day standing in front of your, the beautiful ring, um, I think it was um, pink. Mm, I'm going to match you there. Yeah. Was it the pink quartz? What, what is that? Yeah, stone? rose quartz. Rose quartz, thank you, rose quartz. And I'm picking it up and putting it on my finger. It's my favourite ring today and it gets a lot of attention, that ring. And I put it on and I just felt <gasps> like I just felt later like I'd lie around and look at it and it would, it would take my breath away, not mm -hmm. the beauty of the design but the feeling. I could feel the essence deeply in it and mm -hmm. every time I looked at it and spoke about it or, you know, anything, or people would look at it and I would just go, yeah, it's not just a ring, just like my recipes are not just a recipe. And that was the internal love affair that started to happen and then actually as time grew on, I started wearing your necklaces and I had a really big fear around that because it would bring attention to my, my scar on my chest after my two open heart surgeries and I didn't feel comfortable. And then one day I think I shot you a video and I was like, you know what, you've, you've, you, you don't understand how I feel when I wear this now. It's not like I'm trying to hide my scar and it's not like I'm trying to bring the focus to your jewellery. It just actually makes me look beautiful. Mm -hmm. I actually look beautiful. Mm -hmm. And that was another connection that I had with it. And then it just, and then speaking about it and using, you know, a lot of people send me jewellery. Mm -hmm. A lot of people do want to partner up with Cynthia and her, her ways. And it's really, I'm really grateful for that. I really am. I've got a, I really am in Australia at my mum's house. There's a lot of products sitting there right now. But I can't move away from this for some reason. 
and it's just been so great for other women to have a look at my content and then click on the button to go through to your website and they find their way mm-hmm. and then they then you see them you know in photos in my group or they send me personal photos going I got that the other day and I just feel it's the most beautiful thing and and then then they've researched you a little bit more and your work ethics and how your business and how you flourish in that pure connection of personal and business as one identity mm-hmm. and an energy flowing that they're like oh my god like this is not just a ring mm-hmm. anymore mm-hmm. And that to me is like my deep connection with your jewelry. Outside, I love you and you're my friend. But this is like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I mean, if this was videoed right now, you'd be able to see what I'm wearing, but it's not. But this is one of my favorites. Like me. Yeah. You don't make this one anymore, but no. <laughs> I, 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 everybody adores it. Yeah. There's something timeless about that. Yeah. I, I love that adorning our scars mm. and you know like looking at that bracelet Lakshmi and, and necklace that you just mentioned you know sometimes it's it's an interesting journey for me working with these symbols and um, you know we're deeply honoring these different religions that they're taking from these different traditions um, that they're inspired by and that adorning our scars really captures it it's like that's why I started creating them it was for me like what what reminder do I need right now and what would be helpful for the planet what am I picking up on what would benefit others to carry with them right now and you know it's not saying oh you are Lakshmi and suddenly you're Mm. you know swimming in money and there's abundance and and with Ariel like you know the the necklace that you mentioned it's the subtlety like it is one of my favorite necklaces at the moment for myself because the other day I put it on and and the the message of I honor this body Mm. I cherish this earth like I put it on and I heard the phrase and it it just meant everything in regards to what we're just speaking about as well of like Mm. what does it mean to me personally to honor this body and to understand that it is part of this earth and to cherish this earth at the same time and how can I how can I walk my path and do that and so it's beautiful um, I love it mm -hmm. I don't wear any other jewelry I just I love it my ear everything everything I just love it Mm. it feels and there's something about it too, like honouring the scars, like you said, like this scar on my chest is really big. Mm. Like it's, 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 and there's scars everywhere and, and it's like I'm, I wear this and it's not, it's not even a protection piece, it's just a connection piece mm-hmm. and it's just beautiful and my hands are very masculine and they're, mm. they're getting older. I've moved them a billion, trillion, trillion, billion times in the 50 years and they're wrinkling and they're, they're forming into something else. But when I put on the rings, it's like, oh, my gosh, like this is a whole different feeling now. Mm. And there's, yeah, there's a connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love it. The honouring. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your your projects and what currently excites you. I'd love to hear. Um, I know the new book just came out, so I – Obviously, you want to talk about that. And then any other projects that you have in the pipelines or that just really excite you right now? The pipelines are flowing. Mm-hmm. They're not blocked, that's for sure. <laughs> um, well, at the moment, I'm just in the middle of buying some land. 
here in Indonesia and I have a really great partnership in Jogjakarta building a, a plant-based situation over there that's not just a restaurant, it's a whole thing. It's hard to explain in words. I'm, I'm actually been a bit private about it because I just want the contract to be finished mm-hmm. this week and then I can... Oh, perfect. Yeah. And it's really interesting. Um, and then I have numerous cafes to 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 open through the Roger Hamilton's genius, visionary, extraordinary mind that is. Um, people are buying licences and going through that process and doing that. And then I've got my own personal you know, stuff that I'm doing for myself, you know, building a house and doing things like that. And and then hopefully, I mean, I produce two, two cookbooks in a year, Christine. I mean, who does that? Seriously. You. <laughs> Apparently it's not normal. I thought it was completely normal until my my beautiful um, Brendan said to me, it's actually not normal. And you need to stop. And I'm like, why? Why would anybody stop? This is fabulous. <laughs> Well, and those recipes and creations were bursting out of you. Yeah. So they were like ready to be shared with the world. Crazy. Tell us a little bit about those books. Those books are a, a, a dream that I had that went into a vision in 2005. And I knew I wanted to create a cookbook. It was purely for ego, to be honest. Honestly, it was. Um, I've got a cookbook. I'm an author. That, that's the truth. That's where it came from. But when I was producing it, and creating it, oh, my God, the joy was off the charts and it became so much fun where I was launching my first cookbook in my studio, in my bedroom actually because that's where the light was to shoot the photos. I'd already, I'd already launched it in my mind. So when it came out, I'd, I, just, I just went about my business. It was my girlfriend, Michelle, was like, we've got to have a party. I'm like, what for? She goes, you launched a book. It's happy, birth, it's happy birthday, happy book day. And so she had a huge party for me and I was like, oh, right, I did, didn't I? I thought I did that mm-hmm. six, you know, four months ago when I was creating it. Mm-hmm. So the joy of creating the whole process with the entire team that I work with was overwhelmingly just fun. Mm-hmm. It was fun and we ate a lot. Mm-hmm. And then the second book was even more funner because then I started to find my my flow Mm -hmm. and I started to see things a little bit differently. I didn't need to go on Pinterest to get ideas. I was like, oh, my God, I'm just going to throw that on there and smash that on there and put my hands in there with all my jewellery on and hold that whiskey glass with cucumber, you know, juice in there and, you know, things like that. And So Mm -hmm. I really, you know, started to, you know, be be a little bit more... um, not strategic in the photos but more interested in the beauty of them coming out this time and mm-hmm. it was fun as well it's not stressful at all mm-hmm. and being a, being uh you know um self-author how do you say that self-published self-published is a journey mm-hmm. <laughs> and printing my own books and shipping my own books and then having you know hundreds of bookstores wanting to stop them but only wanting to pay a dollar and I've been through a lot Mm-hmm. That was really fascinating. Mm-hmm. So that's been real, really beautiful to have them in, in the physical form, yeah. especially for people that have known me for 10 years. It's like, thank God, <laughs> why haven't you done this before? And, like, and you know, I'm going to produce a few more cookbooks. I've got two more. I've already written one, another one, the third one, and I've got another one that's already volume one, volume two, volume three. Oh, yes. <laughs> Tell us the names of the two that are out already just because I love the names. Yeah, so the first one is... 
plant-based love stories mm-hmm. which like just captures what you were speaking about earlier yeah. of, of these emotions states vibes that go into it of like yeah plant-based love stories yeah. to treat it that way yeah Ooh. plant-based love stories you know mm. 97 recipes that make you feel good yeah. you know like there's a there's a feeling every time I've either boiled an egg cooked a bit of toast made a salad dressing I don't know put bloody almond butter on bread whatever it might be there's always been this inquisitive feeling of a story behind it and over the years of living I've had this incredible experience to sit with women that have just made basic rice and broccoli rice tempeh and broccoli whatever it might be and I've always felt them in the recipe and so plant-based stories is about a love story um, within each recipe and each journey mm-hmm. as much as I could could you know remember them there's so many recipes made <laughs> say 97 in that book so there's so many things that I actually forgot where I look back at the book like that oh my god that was Yolanda that taught me that how do I forget Yolanda so there's just so many mm-hmm. stories but in every recipe has a story to it whether it's a sentence or a novel mm-hmm. there is definitely something there that has touched my whole you know being mm-hmm. you know through mm-hmm. my fingers to food so that's what it, that's what it is mm-hmm. and it has this amazing jewelry designer in there <laughs> that happens to be my friend, but also has a big part of a food journey, which mm-hmm. is you, mm-hmm. and it has a big part of your gifts. Mm-hmm. And I had to have that in that book. And I remember when I was putting it in there, a couple of my friends, not not my friends in Bali, but friends outside my circle, were like, "Why would you do that? It's a cookbook. Don't confuse people." And I'm like, "Oh my god, I have to put it in there even more now." You just said that because. It just aligns and it shows people where to find you and that's important that people find you. And then also my spiritual teacher who's our one of our dear friends mm-hmm. that we got to live with and hang out with for so many years um, mm-hmm. had to be in there because I am absolutely the mind I am today mm-hmm. and the thoughts I have today because of my spiritual practice through mm-hmm. her mm-hmm. teachings. We love you, Cat Dawes. Cat Dawes, Cat Dawes. <laughs> Cat doors. <laughs> um, just briefly, let's talk about the second one because I yeah. just got my own copy and I just drooled all over it. So back in 2008, 2009, I, I was celebrating people's teeth naturally in health retreats and doing my work and I just had that name the whole time, celebrate your sweet tooth, celebrate your sweet tooth, celebrate your sweet tooth. Mm-hmm. And how can we do that without picking on ourselves and degrading ourselves and putting, oh, my God, I just ate a piece of chocolate cake. I'm going to have to go to spin class. And, you know, so for me it was celebrate is such a big thing in my life. I'm alive because Mm -hmm. of my heart surgery and that's worth celebrating. Mm -hmm. And celebrate is a vibe that needs to be done every single second of the day. And so the book is about sweets and only sweets and it's using um, ingredients that are worth celebrating, maple syrup, coconut sugar, you know, dried fruit, <laughs> mm-hmm. all these amazing things. And the whole book has its own love story. But the love story compared to plant-based love stories and Celebrate Your Sweet Tooth is a pure conversation of your beautiful mindset of how you treat your body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm, it's thank really, you. Really quite special that that love story. So if you flick to the you you read the love story of the first book and the second book and yeah, mm-hmm. quite amazing. Thank you, love. Is there anything that you feel 
you want to share with the world oh. as a last little note something to send off to the people out there the beautiful humans yeah if you're listening to this which you are you know if you can just just choose one ingredient in your recipe and if it's willingness it's the greatest ingredient that you'll ever have to go through a food journey it's just willingness mm-hmm. putting the rules and the judgment and the mind that has this amazing way to dissect things and pull things apart and rip us apart um, if we can just sit in the willingness of the unfolding of you know as close to nature intended to be with low human interference and saturating our organs all 78 of them mm. with what we're designed to be mm. you'll, you'll um you'll feel something and i'd love to hear what that feeling is you know? mm-hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> share with us Sit in the willingness of the unfolding. Yes. Say, oh my God, I love it. Thank you so much, Cynthia. Oh, I love pleasure. you deeply. I love Such you an too. inspiration. Look at you with your jewelry. So pretty. If you could see her now, she's got a nose ring and <laughs> earrings on, and she's got her necklace on. <laughs> All right, here. Thank you for joining us for Sensitive Matters. If you haven't had a chance yet, please subscribe on Spotify, Google Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast from. And if you have a chance, please rate and review if you're listening via Apple Podcast, as it really helps more people discover the show to listen to these incredible conversations. This podcast is brought to you from Bali and made possible by my ethical jewelry company, Ananda Soul. You can check out our website and all of our ethically handmade jewelry at anandasoul.com. You'll also receive a $15 gift card on your first purchase when you subscribe to our newsletter, so make sure not to miss out on that as well. Thank you again for joining us, and we look forward to sharing more of Sensitive Matters with you.